Welcome to the Field Goals Podcast. I'm Brandon Schultz, and we've been running back through the draft and talking to people who have been taking some extra time to break down the Seahawks' new draft picks. And now joining me on the show is Alistair Corp, Deputy Editor at Field Goals. Alistair, we got through all three days of the draft. We've we've kind of had some time to digest this, go back and look back at some of the picks. And, you know, we could we could go back through all all these day three guys, starting with Colby Parkinson and DJ Dallas in round four. But I'm, I'm really curious to start things off. Which of these day three guys are you most excited about? Yeah, I uh, I kind of went back and forth on this as the days progressed after the draft. Um, and I think I just got to I'm going to keep going back to the prospect who I was kind of most excited about in the moment. And that would be Colby Parkinson. Mm. Um you know, a lot of it is kind of just curiosity based more than anything because it kind of like made you think about how, you know, we expected them to draft this big bodied receiver who's like a possession guy who kind of fits in the Metcalf and Lockett and they did, but it was Parkinson and it just, it like, you know, it takes a little, a minute to get there and then you think, oh, that's pretty interesting. And I think he has the potential to be a really good player. So he, he's the guy for me who kind of stands out above the rest. It's kind of funny with Parkinson because listening to the day three press conference with Pete Carroll and John Schneider. Parkinson was the one guy that I feel like Pete actually dropped some criticism on him like day one saying that he needs to develop as a blocker. Yeah, well, I mean, that's just like Pete's prerequisite. He's getting it out there, but uh, he probably was having like Jimmy Graham flashbacks in that moment, making sure that it wasn't going to be a, a repeat of that. But uh, no, I think that he uh, I think it might have been Schneider who said like he has the potential to, to grow into a blocker. And I think more than that, he has the potential to grow into like a three level receiving threat, which isn't in his game right now, but if it does develop, um, you know, I think he can be a legitimately good starting tight end in a league that kind of lacks them from time to time. Who do you think this is more of a shot at? Is this a shot at Luke Wilson? Is this a shot at Jacob Hollister, which, which, cause I feel like they aren't going to carry more than four tight ends going into this year. And so one of those guys has to go, don't they? Yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, if, if we're going to say like who, whose job is this costing? And now, you know, I hate to say it, but I think even before the draft, I would have said Luke Wilson isn't going to make the roster. Um, oh, you're so fellow Canadian. I know it kills me, it kills, <laughs> but he's from Southern Ontario. So it's kind of like a different country. Okay. So it's OK. But uh, <laughs> but uh, no, I think like as far as it means for Jacob Hollister, I, I don't expect Hollister to make the roster now. Um, and, you know, I was surprised that they put the second round tender on him after, especially like it came after they signed Olsen. But especially now they've they drafted Parkinson. I have a hard time seeing Hollister sneak onto the roster. Um, assuming that kind of Disley and Olsen make it to the regular season healthy. So what else has you excited about Parkinson? Uh, that, you know, Jimmy Graham's season uh, 2017, whatever his last season was in Seattle, like whether you liked the guy or not, whether you were like frustrated watching or not, I think it was one of the better kind of quarterback receiver seasons that Russell Wilson has had. Like he he developed legitimate chemistry with Graham. He could count on at the seam and, and in the red zone, they kind of finally built that connection. And he hasn't really had that type of receiver since. Um, and I think Parkinson can kind of replicate the things that Graham did well. Um, and then with the upside of, you know, he's he's a better athlete than Graham was when Graham was in Seattle. And, you know, he does have that upside as a blocker and hopefully that willingness because, you know, I love Jimmy Graham, but that willingness was always a question. But just what he can bring as a red zone receiver right out of, out of the gate um, really excites me because, you know, if he catches 25 passes next year, but six of them are touchdowns, I wouldn't really be all that surprised. Like he's a legitimate threat immediately as a red zone player. It does feel like they are kind of looking for that scheme type of fit with, you know, whether it's tight end with Colby Parkinson or Stephon Sullivan drafted from LSU in round seven. And I know 
he was announced as a wide receiver. But when I listened back to the press conference, I was hearing Pete talk about in the press conference as as though they saw him more as a developmental tight end. And so I wonder if this is you know competition for uh, to, to who gets snaps at that type of position for the team. Totally. Yeah, I think out of the gate, um, you know, it'll be tough for Sullivan to make the 53. It's probably probably more likely that he's on the practice squad, but um, at least in 2020. But yeah, I mean, one of those two, I think, can offer kind of a, a mismatch threat, both out of the slot and like at tight end um, in 2020. You know, I, I bet on it being Parkinson, but, you know, I think it's definitely an area they they wanted to address and they did it by doubling down at tight end, which is like super Seattle weird way to do it, but they did it. So I'm, I'm pretty happy about it. Like it's, it's a curious way to do it, but um, you know, the process behind it, I have no problem. with. Well, and another curious thing for a lot of people is this idea of continuing to use sixth round picks from the following year to move back into the seventh round of the current year. Yeah. To be honest with you, I don't have a huge problem with it. I know kind of, um, I think that maybe the like analytics thinking it's it's not the best thing to do, um, but like especially in a season or a year like this where the UDFA process was going to be just like such a mess that if you really wanted Sullivan like getting ahead of it, I don't really care. Like, do you sacrifice next year's Freddie Swain to secure a UDFA that you really liked by drafting him in the seventh? I, I don't have a big problem with it, um, and you know Sullivan I think is super intriguing. So you know if it was somebody that they. Like they admitted afterwards that he was like kind of in line to sign with a different team as a UDFA, right? So if that's what they felt they needed to do to to get a guy they liked, um, yeah, I, I I won't find the energy to be mad about a lost sixth round pick later. Well, I kind of feel like John Schneider, the way he works just these last few years is he uses fifth, sixth, and seventh round picks as kind of chess pieces, right? With you, you go into the preseason, you come out of preseason, and if you have a guy on your roster that another team might be able to use, maybe you can get a sixth or seventh round pick for that. If you're trading back out of the first round in the following year, you're probably going to pick up a fourth or a fifth round pick, and, and you, know, you can move those around. So I, I feel like just based on the value of fifth, sixth, and seventh round picks, John Schneider can find a way easily from this time this year to this time next year to fill in those gaps. No, I think that you you nailed that. Like he knows that he can leverage those late picks because he's going to find a way to maneuver back and and earn it. Like uh, people seem to always like to craft these narratives that like, oh, they moved back too far and missed out on this guy, missed out on this guy. Like maybe once or twice that's happened. But I put a lot of faith in Schneider's ability to like navigate the draft board. I think that he like, you know, not only does he have a lot of connections through the leagues, though, he kind of knows like how far to drop back but time and time again we've seen it work out for them um so yeah it's just it's one of those things that yeah i just can't really find the energy we get worked up with and and yeah you nailed it like he knows that he'll be able to kind of recoup those picks later on and, and use them for you know i mean we saw it with jacob hollister hollister made a huge impact and he was a result of having kind of an additional seventh round pick to to move to get him and, and it worked out Yep. So they they move that sixth round pick in the future to get Stefan Sullivan. And like you said, kind of a developmental guy. I'm curious what you think about a guy like DJ Dallas out of Miami, the the running back that they selected. You know, we heard from Pete and John. They really like his versatility, his ability to play special teams. He played out of the Wildcat, uh, traditionally a running back, but not a whole lot of production. And John P. Gilbert on field goals, he had an article showing just how much he compared to Chris Carson, not only in terms of his size, but even his production in college. So I, I'm curious to see where you think he fits in. Yeah. And like with that Carson comparison, I'm always kind of in favor of, of drafting guys who, who didn't get a bunch of work in college. Like if they have the physical traits and you're going to get them relatively fresh, it's great. I mean, we saw the same thing with Alvin Kamara. Kamara like barely got any touches at Tennessee, 
um, and then have, obviously it's been a revelation. Um, so it just kind of extends a career where, um, you know, there's sometimes cut short, but with Dallas, like I'm, I'm really excited about it. I thought that they, you know, logic would say that they kind of need a player who can help out on early downs this year. Um, you know, maybe they still sign a guy like Isaiah Crowell to, to help in that regard. Um, but they could have found that player on day three and, you know, it would have been pretty uninspiring, but it would have probably been like a safe selection, you know, maybe it would have been like a Mike Davis repeat, which like, yeah, Mike Davis can do a job for you. Um, but with a player like Dallas, like you're almost betting on a player's ceiling, which is exciting to me, uh, especially on these day three picks. Like I think Dallas can immediately help in year one, you know, whether it's in a third down role, playing special teams, taking over kick return duties for Tyler Lockett. But long term, like I think that he has the ceiling of a three down running back. Um, and that's awesome because uh, I love Chris Carson, but like the, the idea of signing him to an extension really worries me. So to kind of have a plan in place for if that doesn't happen um, is brilliant, especially for how kind of important the running game is for Seattle. So I think they kind of accomplished that through the Dallas pick with, with the ceiling to be like far exceed like his draft position, regardless of kind of what you think of his his position's value. I think he's going to he's going to provide a good return. Well, and I think when you're talking about positional value too, fourth round for a running back, that's kind of in the the spot. And really, you know, when I look down at the draft board that you put together, Alistair, going into this 2020 draft, a lot of the guys who fit kind of that mold that the Seahawks tend to look for, there, there are a few guys like Rico Dowdle who went undrafted and, uh, and there were a couple other names on the list, I think, that went a little bit later. But for the most part, a lot of those guys that fit the traits that we talked about going into the draft, they weren't left until they took uh dj jealous he was one of the few guys left on the board yeah they they started to go quick and a guy like dowdle is exactly who i'm talking about where he, like they could have drafted him the fifth or sixth and it would have been like a single um but you know striking for dallas and and you know you're maybe hitting a triple or a home run with this pick like that's what i'm that's what i'm all about i would way rather that than drafting a guy that you think will safely contribute um yeah i'm, I'm really excited about dallas's upside and you know every single year running back comes in and outperforms his draft position. And it wouldn't surprise me if it's Dallas at all. Like he's going to have the opportunity for snaps. If he's ready, he's going to get opportunities right at the gate. And it could be a case of like, he doesn't look back. It wouldn't, it wouldn't surprise me at all. Yeah. Going back and watching uh, DJ Dallas, that Miami game against Florida uh, was probably one of the more fun games for, for me to watch of him with him taking the ball out of the shotgun. And I think that one was for a touchdown. He had, uh, just a, a couple different moments in that game. Not a game where he ran a lot, but were there any moments that stood out to you watching him? That Florida game is a good encapsulation of it because it's like, I think a big knock on him is, you know, maybe he doesn't have that running back tenacity yet, but he has such a thick lower half and like his balance on contact and his ability to accelerate through contact, both are super exciting because it's like, you can see the the foundation of a, like a powerful running back there. And if he like, they're not drafting him if they don't trust that he has the temperament to become that running back. So, like, I think that he's going to be just a lot more sound than than we saw, like, on a consistent basis. Um, yeah, I, I'm really excited about his ability, and I, I hope that he gets a chance on early downs because I think he can be a lot more than a passing down back. And then there's the bonus of keeping Travis Homer included, which is, is great because I, I really like him as kind of a spark plug. Well, Alistair, the last time you were on, we were talking immediately after the Daryl Taylor pick, the, the Tennessee pass rusher. Then the Seahawks on day three went on to select Alton Robinson out of Syracuse. I'm kind of curious, do you see this as a complimentary piece or maybe a competition piece kind of similar with uh, with Stefan Sullivan and Colby Parkinson or, like I said, a, a complimentary piece? Yeah, I think it's probably more a complimentary piece. Um, 
you know, maybe if, you know, training camp starts and they decide, let's put Rasheem Green at Leo full time, then, you know, maybe he does kind of have a pathway to, to win the job at five tech. But I think it's more of a complimentary piece, but that's awesome. Like if he can become a, a complimentary pass rusher for them as a fifth round pick, that's fantastic because it's a guy, it's like, that's a position that they like didn't have filled last year and they had to go sign Mayo and Irvin to fill it. Um, and obviously those guys aren't long-term answers. So if Robinson can be that long-term answer, then it's an awesome fifth round pick. Like the way that I kind of framed it was like, we, they sorely missed Jacob Martin last year, as far as like having that second or third pass rusher who can give you, you know, four or five sacks, 20 pressures. And I think Robinson is kind of an effort to fill that role full time. So I'm, I'm excited about that pick as well. I, I thought day three was kind of fantastic all around. In terms of Robinson's game, why do you think that he ended up slipping to round five? Because I know a lot of people are looking at that pick and saying, you know, that was the Seahawks best value pick. Yeah, I think, um, you know, I can't really speak so much to the the off field stuff. I know there was like a couple incidents which maybe gave some teams pause. Some of his athleticism doesn't pop. He's definitely explosive, but like to not have a kind of complete athletic profile as like an undersized, at least lengthwise defensive end is a little worrying because mm-hmm. there's a chance that you're just kind of washed out. Um, and then just his production kind of it didn't just plateau before his last season at Syracuse, like it dropped off a fair bit. Um, so I think that probably put some teams off. Um, and, you know, maybe he I just, you know, we we're never going to know, but I would love to know how this draft shakes out in a normal world. Like maybe he's a guy who, you know, if more teams are able to get into their facility and meet with them and they're more comfortable with like the person, um, both like kind of moving forward and who he was in the past. Maybe he's a guy who ends up going third round slips a little bit just because like nobody was really able to to meet with the guy so much, you know? Yeah, that's a good point. Moving on, the last guy that we haven't yet talked about, Freddie Swain, the wide receiver out of Florida. And again, looking for potentially a special teams guy and maybe a, a guy who can play out of the slot as well. Yeah, he is, truth be told, he's kind of the pick that, like, across the all three days, the pick that I was kind of least excited about. Um, just, as, like, he's a lot of fun to watch. Like he's really, really fun after the catch. Uh, he's kind of a playmaker. And I think even kind of heard John Schneider be excited about just like his toughness. And, and you can really tell after the catch, like he, he's a dynamic player, but he just like, he, I don't think he'll ever be able to be a full-time slot. Um, his route running was really sloppy at Florida and he just doesn't have the athleticism to make you think he can kind of overcome a lack of refinement there. Um, so kind of, you know, if, if you're thinking that his roster spot is going to be a battle between him or Sue and Penny Hart, like I would kind of put him third in that pecking order. Mm. But at the same time, like it, if he developed into a really good return in the NFL, I wouldn't be surprised because, yeah, he he's really awesome after the catch. So maybe that translates. But, um, you know, if, if there's a guy who I like, you know, this year's Gary Jennings where he's picked and then just kind of goes away after doing nothing like swing would be my pick for that. Maybe I'm wrong, but that's just kind of where I'm I'm looking at it from. Yeah, I do think that making it on the to the roster route running probably is important to make it that far. But, you know, if you also think just in terms of the Seahawks offense, you know, the, a lot of times the play's breaking down anyway. And one of the things I, I felt like I did see a little bit from Swain is that ability to uh, shake guys off and and get open, you know, kind of uh, contemporaneously. <laughs> No, totally. I think like his like lack of route running ability was almost mass because of that, because he's he's so good after the catch. He's kind of if you can find ways to get him the ball in space, like I know Florida threw a bunch of screen passes to him. Like that's a great way to do it because yeah, he he definitely is able to make up for it. I just don't know how much he'll be able to make up for it like against NFL defenses, um, which is, you know, kind of a trope, but there is some truth to it, you know? We're gonna take a quick break, come back and talk about a little Marshawn Lynch and uh and maybe talk about some of your criticisms of the draft as well. We'll we'll do that coming up after the break.
talking to Alistair Corp, deputy editor at Field Goals. We're talking day three of the draft. We're also going to be talking some Marshawn Lynch with some recent reports from this week. But I, I want to just check in with you just in terms of criticisms of the draft, because I saw your article up on Field Goals about how the Seahawks are still missing out at, uh, at depth at the defensive tackle position. And, you know, that argument could probably be even made before they released Naj Jones this week. So I looked at some of those free agent options out there. Are there better free agent options than there were in the draft kind of after they they missed out on some of those first uh, couple uh, guys with their first couple picks? I think so, yeah. Um, there is a couple guys who you're just kind of be replicating like Brian Monet or DeMarcus Christmas and, and forcing it. Um, you know, there is fine rotational defensive tackles, but nothing really all that exciting. Um, and, you know, it is, I kind of wrote about that, that it was, it is a crucial role that they're trying to replace. Like Al Woods wasn't just kind of a backup last year. Like he played a pretty big role in the defense and he was really solid. So if they can get a guy in free agency now who, you know, cheap, hopefully, and uh, like can kind of not just replicate Woods' role, but his level of impact, that would be big. And I don't think they were going to get that from a rookie um, kind of once the, you know, first top five of the position went off the board kind of thing. I thought we were going to start seeing some moves here this week after they released uh, Justin Britt last week and DJ Fluker that seemed to be setting themselves up to to bring on some some players, whether it was bringing Jadevian Clowney back, whether it's bringing in a defensive tackle. I, I thought that we we're going to see some moves here. I, I'm 100% with you. It still is kind of funny, like thinking that uh, that was over a week ago now and you were just you thought something was about to happen. I, I truly was prepared um you know it was kind of roster moves that we had been anticipating for almost four months and then it just led to nothing so right. that was really curious I, I think i get the fluker one of just kind of doing a really good guy a solid and letting him go find a situation now rather than like august 29th he's cut um yeah. but the brit one was curious timing because it was with a failed physical designation so it wasn't like they were waiting till he could pass a physical uh so i don't really know what the timing of that was um yeah it was very kind of curious to me once days passed and we realized that it was leading to nothing. You know? I know. I've been refreshing my Twitter feed now for days and, and still nothing. Yeah, I got to like late March and I was like, okay, I'm going to take Twitter notifications off for rap sheet and all those guys. And then that <laughs> happened. I'm like, oh God, now I'm back into it. And I'm learning, you know, when the 87th person on the Ravens roster gets released and yeah. I, I don't care about it. You know, I, I want to know about Clowney. That's where I'm at at this point. <laughs> Well, the Seahawks, they did make some moves here recently, signing some undrafted free agents. I, I'm interested to know if, if there's any of these undrafted guys that you're especially excited about. The most obvious one's got to be got to be uh, Anthony Gordon. Just like, uh, first of all, he's going to be so much fun to watch in preseason, regardless if he makes the roster or not. He's right. just going to make it. He's going he's not going to hold anything back. He's going to fire fire passes out there. <laughs> um, and then and it, like, you know, if he does make the roster, it's, you know, you're, you have a backup at like the most cheap rate possible behind the most durable player in the NFL. So that's a really nice positive. Um, and then Gavin Heslop, the corner from Stony Brook is, is a guy who I'm pretty excited about. I think if he, if he can play special teams and be like a good special teamer, then I'd be more surprised than not for him to, to not make the or to Yeah. I, I would be surprised if he didn't make the roster. Let's put it that way. Um, because I think he, he has a lot of traits that are pretty intriguing. Like he's got the length, he's got the athleticism, he's got the size. Um, he just kind of has, some like Trey Flowers itis where he doesn't always find the football. But if he can learn that, then I would be excited to see how he develops over the next year or two. Yeah, the Gordon move is kind of fun. It, it's interesting though, going from the Washington State offense now to the Pete Carroll offense. And it's it's gonna be very different for him in preseason. Yeah, it'll be a little bit of a shock. I don't know. 
how well he'll adjust to being under center. He'll have um, to hand the football off. Hand, <laughs> handing the ball off. Uh, <laughs> being around somebody who isn't Mike Leach. Like to go from Mike Leach to Pete Carroll alone right. would be a wild adjustment um, and probably one that's delightful. So I'm, I'm glad he gets <laughs> to experience that. I think the biggest news this last week, Alistair, was hearing that Marshawn Lynch has been in discussions with the Seahawks about potentially coming back to 2020. I mean, I I can't not be excited about the idea of Marshawn Lynch coming back. I, I have a hard time with the Seahawks trying to figure out what exactly the roster spot is for him. But you know what? I, I don't know anything about DJ Dallas aside from the fact that we picked him up in the fourth round and I've watched him on tape a little bit. I, I kind of want Marshawn Lynch more than than DJ Dallas or even Travis Homer. <laughs> I, you know, I can hear it in your voice where I think you're in the same place as me where it's like, no, it makes no sense for him to come back. But at the same time, you're like, screw it, coming back. Like <laughs> every single carry of his down the stretch last year was like the best play of the game. So no, I it doesn't make sense. Uh, and I don't, I don't really think he's going to come back at least right away. Um, but I'm, I'm not going to complain if he's back. Like I don't, I don't think it's the best team building uh, way to go. But uh, whatever, I don't care. It's supposed to be fun, and that would make it fun. So I'm, I'm all on board. I think I, I saw somebody put it out there that if this means that Nick Ballore is not is not coming back in 2020, then let's let's make the move happen. Because, yeah, those other running backs, they they kind of have a special teams role. Uh, and even Ballore has a special teams role to a degree. And uh, Marshawn Lynch doesn't. But when Frank Gore is returning for another season, I mean, come on, Marshawn. Yeah, I'm it's, uh, Frank Gore is going to. Yeah, I have very strong feelings about frank gore and none of them are positive um <laughs> really <laughs> yeah i just uh i just i think we talked about it previously i just take issue with like someone like him who's now being like good good for him longevity is amazing especially at such a brutal position but like being talked about like oh my god we get to see this all-time great once again like no we just see a guy who's refusing to retire like people talking about him like oh yeah he he dominated the seahawks time and time again no who dominated the seahawks was steven jackson that's the best nfc west running back that we've faced in the 21st century like gore is fine and he'll continue to be fine and he'll get a hall of fame jacket one day because he played a long time i just yeah it's uh i'm i'm i'm, I'm over the frank gore experience and i was years ago you know what then i i can understand that because yeah it is it is more of a longevity type award when you think of frank gore because even thinking of the plays i mean i can probably picture one play in my mind that stands out from frank gore and that's only because it was a a touchdown that ended up beating the seahawks i think it was like the one time that the 49ers beat seattle and it was down in san francisco before probably even before they made the move to santa clara Yep. Yeah, I think that I know the exact game you're talking about. And uh, yeah, like, tell me one signature Frank Gore play besides besides that one where I can't even remember what year it was. Exactly. There's like a, a, a three yard carry for a lifeless Miami Dolphins team. And we're supposed to celebrate him. It just uh, like congrats. You're going to back up Le'Veon Bell, who's going to average three and a half yards per carry. I just uh, it just I'm, I'm over it. I wanted to retire. I'm sick of him. <laughs> I, so, so unnecessary. I don't know why I don't like him so much, but that's I think, how I feel. I do think that he is in position. If he goes two more years, he might be able to to take down Walter Payton off the rushing list. And so I have to imagine that that's oh. his goal, right? And and that would be disgusting because like Walter Payton is the best pure football player of all time. And now a guy's going to be the leading rusher who, or sorry, behind Emmett Smith, who like was at best the fifth best running back in the NFL. And that was 15 years ago. It just, uh, yeah, it, 
it's like if Matthew Stafford retired with all of the all-time records. It just <laughs> it couldn't mean anything less. I cannot discredit Frank Gore's achievements enough. Well, uh, I mean, we <laughs> we still have a lot of you know, like Jim Brown, you know, is is known as the greatest running back of all time, and so I I don't know if we can you know a lot of these things are going to be longevity type awards when you look at, at certain players. So I I don't think that he's necessarily going to be thought of in the same way as a guy like Walter Payton, but he will be up there on the record books, I suppose. Yeah, I hope not. I don't have to continue to, to rage against his career. So if we can put him in the proper context, then I'll, I'll, ch- I'll chill a little bit. Okay. Well, I think we need to get off the Frank Gore fire. Here. <laughs> <laughs> I, I want to talk Quandre Diggs, a guy I know that you're excited about for the 2020 season. Yeah, he, you know, this morning I just started thinking about like, even the people who are the most pessimistic about the Seahawks have to be able to put together a list of like 10 individual things they're super excited about for 2020. And I think Quandre Diggs getting his first full season of free safety, like that's got to be in the top three. Um, he just took the position so well. It's a spot that we've seen literally everybody else struggle with when Earl Thomas was out and for Diggs to come in and take to it so well. Um, I can't wait to see what he does kind of a full offseason learn the playbook. And like, yeah, I, I cannot wait. I think it's going to be a blast. And he's so much fun to watch. Like he's just, He's badass. So something I'm super stoked for, for sure. I, I'm just glad that Pete Carroll and John Schneider, they finally saw it with Tedrick Thompson. I, I felt like for you know, going into the season, we're going, is this really who we're going to be trotting out there at safety? And we and they got Marquise Blair in the draft and we, and we thought, OK, well, here here is the move where Tedrick Thompson comes off the field and they put in Marquise Blair. But, you know, they they waited. And, and still, I, I wonder if we could see a little bit more Blair next year, too. Yeah, I, I do kind of always I, I've seen it thrown out a lot that like a huge mess up on Pete Carroll's end last year was playing Thompson over Blair. But I just don't think I don't I think Blair's a strong safety like he did play a free safety a little bit. But I just think that wouldn't have been very fair to whom to throw him in there because he would have struggled. And I know like I've talked to a couple people and, and Tedrick Thompson's like communication on the back end is was a lot more important than I think us on the outside knew like mm. how much it helped. I think that we have a better idea of but it seemed to be important. But yeah, I think they they kind of need to find a way to get Blair on the field more because he was pretty good when he played. Um, and I think there is some things you can do with, you know, if it's big nickel package where, you know, McDougald uh, kind of comes into the slot and, and Blair plays with Diggs. I think there's things you can do. And, you know, if Blair manages to win a starting job, um, then they have like a future star because McDougald was awesome down the stretch last year. So um, he's going to have to really earn it. But however he gets on the field, like, it'll mean really good things for his future. So that'll be exciting. Yeah. I, I am really curious to see how Pete Carroll handles the, the back end of the defense, the secondary going into the season, because one of the things that he was asked in the press conference was the fact that they didn't go after a, a guy at nickel corner in the draft. And he's talked about Ugo Amadi kind of being the, the guy with the job to lose at nickel and, and the question of being around, you know, how do you, how do you uh, create competition? at that spot then if there's nothing if there's nobody really to compete with then so the competition ends up going down to i think scheme more than player to player yeah there's so many different kind of like variables there that i'm i'm very interested it's one of the things that i'll be kind of most disappointed to, to miss out on if there is no training camp or if it's shortened because like it wouldn't surprise me if amadi is shift back to free safety and just taken away from nickel completely um you know it wouldn't surprise me if they traded a pick for a veteran and just put him there it wouldn't surprise me if you know, Flowers, Dunbar, and Griffin were the, the top three kind of snaps leaders of cornerbacks, and and Dunbar and Griffin kind of platoon that that spot with McDougald in, in like a big nickel role. Um, so I think they have a bunch of possibilities, but 
it like it wasn't clear after the season what they were going to do. It wasn't exactly clear after the Dunbar trade, and it's still not clear after the draft. So it's it's kind of one of the spots that I'm most curious about going into into training camp and into the preseason for sure. All right, Alistair. Well, should we end the show now, or should I open up the floor to you so you can spend as much time as you like to discuss the photo circulating on Twitter of a shirtless John Ursua flexing? Okay. <laughs> I mean, look, if it helps him play a felt snap in the NFL in 2020, good for him. Uh, I'll say it here. Oh, I've said it a bunch of places. John Ursua is not going to make the roster this year, and uh, we will all forget about him, and he'll go into lore with case and williams and rod smith and all the other preseason darlings that i've already forgotten because uh yeah he's irrelevant and i'm over it i don't want any more so talk but it's going to continue <laughs> so i should but hold we... off on getting my john ursua jersey i, I have my case and williams jersey i, hold... I i'll hold off on the ursua <laughs> jersey i suppose hold off if he <laughs> if he can play 12 snaps in a single season then it'll be worth getting but until then, um, I'm going to continue to have his name muted on Twitter and live in peace because he's relevant. He's Alistair Corp, deputy editor at Field Goals. Alistair, what do you got coming up? Uh, just like kind of more in-depth looks uh, at rookies. Just kind of want to write about, uh, you know, through through some sort of frame for everything. I'll probably start with Parkinson because, yeah, he's the one that I'm most excited about. And then now that the UDFA class is... Uh, announced i'm just going to kind of go through and uh try to project like what they could offer the 53-man roster if if they make it kind of thing so which is great because the last time i wrote that my leadoff was i'll be more surprised than not if puna ford gets cut and then, so hey look at me i, I know some things uh and i know that ursua sucks so there there, there it is one more <laughs> shot at ursua going out the door <laughs> All right. Well, we got the schedule release coming up later this week as well. We will have a show for that. Be sure and subscribe to the podcast, sbnation.com slash NFL podcasts. And until then, we will be back with more talk. Stay tuned and go Hawks.